Welcome everyone to the Polaris podcast. I am Jeremy Whitbeck, a partner of the Polaris Wealth Advisory Group. And as always, we have on with us our managing partner and chief investment officer, Jeff Powell. Jeff, uh, looking forward to our conversation together today. As am I. So Jeff, uh, this is the time of the year where we start to hear uh, certain sayings um, that are thrown around in the industry. Um, one of the big ones being in reference to seasonality effects and different uh, things that people look at or expect with the change in season that uh, often comes for many people. And I thought this would be an interesting discussion, just kind of talking about what it is when people talk about seasonality and different trends and really what drives that line of thinking with people. So if you could, can you talk a little bit about what, what does seasonality even mean? What are people referencing when they say that? Well, the, the simple way of describing it, Jeremy, is that uh, I think that a lot of investors try to oversimplify uh, what's going on in the market and try to, to create some sort of trend or, or try to find a trend based upon uh, what has worked or what has not worked based upon the calendar. Uh, and obviously for a firm like ours, we're never going to allow the calendar to dictate how we're investing money. So there are phrases like the January effect and there are uh, phrases like sell in May and go away. Uh, and if you look at those from a more classic standpoint, uh, if you want to back your way in and create your own biases of them working, uh, at times they can. Uh, and the reason why it's kind of coming up uh, at this point uh, of the year is uh, from a historical standpoint, and we sit basically a week away from the beginning of November, uh, but from a seasonality standpoint, November, December, January, uh, that three-month time period, if you look at it from a historical standpoint, uh, has been the strongest three months from 1900 to present, 1950 to present, 1980 to present, uh, at all uh, stack ranks as the number one time period of the year uh, from a performance standpoint from the markets. Now, the thing that I would strongly encourage one to look at is how many times have you seen a November, December, January that didn't work out? And there are plenty of examples. So it's one of these things that I would be very cautious to tell people that just because we're heading into November that the markets are going to be fantastic. Now, we are happening to be very bullish with the markets, but not because the month of November is rolling up on us. Yes, and that, that makes a lot of sense. And so it sounds like uh, with a lot of this, it's uh, trying to find patterns in very complex uh, scenarios and a way to try to, I guess, on some level, simplify things a little bit so that we can try to make better sense of it. I guess, is that a fair summary or would you say that's an overstatement? I think it's a very fair statement. I think that you were kind of joking with me before about uh, some some ways of kind of tying things together, but uh, you know, just because uh, something has happened once or twice in days past, uh, doesn't mean that it's happening again. I mean, uh, I was just uh, replying back to an email that I got about a an investor who was looking at a pattern that matched up to a specific area in the late 90s. And they were trying to surmise and put together that just because this chart overlaps with another chart very closely uh, over a specific time period. And then the uh, the late 90s investment then took off. And so their whole bias behind it was, well, since these two things had correlation, uh, that the same thing is gonna happen going forward with the particular investment that they were talking about. They're talking one sample size. You know, when you're talking about like 
you know, we, we've got people that, uh, that are questioning, you know, what's going on from a vaccination standpoint. And they're saying, well, the data is not a, a great enough for me, but there's hundreds of thousand data points here. We're talking one in this particular circumstance. So the, the smaller the sample size, the more likelihood of error. So in, in this particular case that I'm talking about, this person was basically backing their way into uh, trying to make a decision about a particular investment uh, based upon one chart. It's it's ludicrous to do that. There's no way in the world that you could possibly uh, be able to, to to draw a conclusion based upon a, a single sample size. Yeah, one you know, Jeff, that makes a lot of sense uh, when you put it in that light. Um, just to kind of fill in our audience on the the joke that I made earlier, um, I was talking about a speeding ticket that I unfortunately received, and we'll set aside the fact that I was actually speeding, and so. That's probably why I got the speeding ticket. But my joke is that I was wearing a blue shirt and I was drinking some water and I got a speeding ticket. So what I do when I got home, I threw out all my blue shirts because clearly when I wear blue, I'm very attracted to the cops and get a speeding ticket. And it's that kind of logic that I think you're describing here. Yeah, and I think maybe you're dehydrated also at the same time because you should probably stop drinking water because the two together were definitely the reason why you got the speeding ticket. And yes, uh, it's an oversimplification. Um, I was reading a, a book a long time ago about the psychology of investments, and they were talking about a speaker who was speaking a lot, uh, amongst a very large audience, and he was trying to drive home this exact same point that you just said, uh, an oversimplification to a decision-making. And so this person, as I was giving his speech, um, on stage, there was uh, a couple of pillars, uh, and as he walked close to this one particular pillar, there started to be feedback from the microphone uh, that he was giving a speech. So he would walk away from that pillar, and the static, you know, the, the, the reverberation would go away, and uh, the feedback would end, and then he would continue to do his thing. And then, you know, a couple minutes later, he walked close to the pillar again, and, you know, lo and behold, all of a sudden, there was feedback again. And, and again, he walked away from it. And he did this several times to the point where as he started walking closer to a pillar, the people in the audience started shouting out to him to not move close to the pillar because it was getting feedback uh, or, or it was causing the feedback, I should say. And in this case, he walked directly over to the to pillar and you know, basically leaned up against it and there was no feedback at all. And it really only took two or three times of going, getting close to that pillar with it having feedback that these people put together that as he walked close to that pillar, that it, that was causing the feedback of his microphone. When in fact, it was something as simple as the, the, the sound person in the back was playing along with the speaker and making the feedback happen so that they would create a biasness, a recency bias, uh, an oversimplification bias of what was going on. And that unfortunately is what goes on with a lot of what we're talking about with uh, seasonality. You know, people want to find patterns and things. They want to be able to oversimplify what goes on within the markets, not realizing that there are hundreds, if not thousands of reasons every day of what makes the markets do what they do. And yet, again, media uh, tries to provide an answer. Uh, and those answers oftentimes are, are things that they either can't uh, because of their own knowledge base, or, uh, you know, again, an oversimplification, uh, they want to be able to take very complex matters and not be able to go into the detail necessary to explain it properly.
And it doesn't mean that you know, the average person doesn't have the, the ability to, some do, some don't, but it's our tendency to sit there and say, okay, well, you're walking near the pillar, that's the feedback, and not knowing a you know, hundred other reasons why that feedback might already be occurring. Then you take our economy, the markets, the, uh, the fundamental, the technical, you look at the, the sentiment that's being, you know, that's driving some of this market, and people try to oversimplify saying, oh, well, November, December, and January should be fantastic times in the market when it may turn out that way. Uh, and we certainly hope that it does, uh, but it's probably happening for a myriad of other reasons rather than just a calendar. Yeah, and, and Jeff, thank you uh, for that thorough uh, explanation because that certainly makes a lot of sense. And I actually, one of the uh, greatest things about our brains and also one of the detriments is that we're amazing at recognizing patterns. And I know there's been a lot of psychological studies on why that is. I mean, they talk about when we were out in the fields, your brain needed to recognize that there was a bobcat or choose your ferocious animal and very quickly so that you could get away, can sit there and look at it for 10 minutes saying like, is that really one? And then you'd be eaten by that. But unfortunately, that same bias uh, still plays today where we recognize patterns, even if patterns aren't really there. And it's more of a, a survival instinct that can get in the way of making smart decisions on very complex matters. And so understanding that and recognizing that I think goes a long way to helping people improve the decisions that they make and not trying to oversimplify what is an increasingly um, overly complex world. I couldn't have said it better uh, myself if I tried. So uh, I think you just hit the nail on the head of, of exactly uh, the point that we're trying to make here, which is you know, when it comes to things, the, the oversimplification can be really a detriment. I mean, it kind of goes back to investing based upon gut feel or you know the fight or flight that we talked about before in previous uh, podcasts as well, is that at the end of it all, you really, you know, you need to be making a much more informed decision. And in this case, you know, it, it doesn't mean that you have to have all information because we work in an imperfect world, especially within finance, where the information flow is so great that it's going to come at you at levels and you would never have enough time in the day, even with a thousand people working on the same things, uh, to be able to be fully informed. You got to be able to take a lot more information though and, and put it into the process of making those decisions. And, and by doing so, you know, again, you, you can, uh, I always like to talk about ready, fire, and then re-aim again, rather than sitting there getting into a, a position where it's ready, aim, 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 and not pulling the trigger. So the, there's there's kind of a middle ground here of the oversimplification and then the the other extreme would be to sit there and overanalyze something to a point where uh, you become decision impaired and you can't actually pull the trigger uh, on what's happening. There has to be kind of a happy medium to these things. And uh, what, what happens within it is by taking a more disciplined approach to how you manage money and not being married to a circumstance and having uh, enough confidence in yourself to know that you're going to not get it right all the time. Uh, and that's okay so long as you are disciplined with an exit strategy when you're not correct, that's the key to investing. So to, to, to be out there, uh, to take some shots, uh, some of those shots are not gonna be based upon uh, perfect information, uh, but that's okay. It's just that, you know, we not everything's gonna be a tiger that's gonna come and eat you though. So we gotta make sure that we understand the differences of them, take a few shots at them, run when it actually is a tiger, uh, but also hold our ground when it's a bobcat. So. 
you know, it's, it's one of those things where we need to understand the, the things that are going on around us and, and what actually should make us climb a tree and, and, you know, get defensive or when it makes sense to, that, you know, it's a tiny little bobcat, it's not going to be able to eat us. It might be able to chew our toes a little bit, but you know, at the end of the day, it's not going to be something that, that you need to run away from. So that's kind of what, you know, our job is with regard to investing is to sit there and sort through all of these hundreds and thousands of decisions that are being, you know, you know, that are hitting us on a daily basis and be able to deflect the things that are less important to absorb and uh, the things that are and to make wise decisions based upon what's factual, uh, but also to understand that the markets today are being driven by sentiment more so today than they have in a long time. Uh, so even though we feel like certain things are going on, we can't sit there and uh, be prideful uh, that we're right and everybody else is wrong because that's a good way of being separated from your money as well. And I'm I'm smiling inside because uh, clearly my bobcat example probably not the most ferocious of animals. Um, but uh, I think what's what's very interesting, Jeff, and this is something that I don't know that a lot of people recognize is that at uh, Polaris and hopefully with all good advisors, one of the things that we consciously do is make sure that we avoid and stay away from those uh, bias pitfalls. And so what I thought might be interesting, Jeff, is just to talk about on a high level, um, what are some of the pitfalls that we purposely avoid? Now I'll, I'll throw out one, and that is the uh, mistake of loss aversion, right? Where there is a strong tendency of people not wanting to sell a stock because you lost money in it, right? The tendency is, well, I'm going to just hold on to this until I eventually get my money back because I don't want to actually lose money on anything. And clearly that's a way to take a small loss and turn it into a very large loss by refusing to recognize that something's wrong. But if you wouldn't mind, can you talk about some of the things that we are very purposeful in not making as a mistake, which I know uh, commonly as investors, when left to our own tendencies, we can uh, typically do when managing money. So I think my favorite is illusory superiority, um, and that's that's a you know a, a mouthful to sit there and say. But basically, when you really want to kind of digest what that that statement means, it means the the bias that you believe that you're above average, and you may be above average in certain things. Uh, but the reality behind it is, averages there for a reason. There are you know you can't have more than fifty percent of the population be above average. Uh, and when you actually do studies of people, uh, overwhelmingly, uh, people think better of themselves. Now, I will say that I am certainly guilty of illusory superiority when it comes to my golf game, uh, for certain. So, uh, in fact, I should be on the PGA Tour based upon how, uh, how good I think that I am with regard to it. But when you actually take away the mulligans uh, and you actually score the shots that were hit out of bounds, um, you know, it, it, it's a very challenging game. And so it becomes one of these things where, you know, people don't want to believe that they're average or below average with something. Now, every once in a while, you'll have somebody that has a good sense of self. and They're like, yeah, I'm horrible at this. I need some help. Um, but th there's been all sorts of studies. So if they were, there was a study done of medical students and the, the study basically looked at the fact that, and they asked these students, you know, uh, where do you fall within your class? And the, the lower three quarters of that class all claimed to be in the top, top quartile. Now, you get into the top quartile people and you talk to them about it, and they said they're in their top 1%. So everybody is upselling themselves in this situation. They're all trying to sit there and say that they're better than what they actually are. 
uh, without a belief system. And it's not just you know kids or young adults. I mean, the same question was asked of teachers at Stanford and 96%, no, I'm sorry, 94% of them said that they were above average students. Now, I'm not sure when the last statistics class that you took, Jeremy, uh, was, but statistically, I don't think 94% of the people could be considered to be above average. Now, this article actually said something pretty funny, which is that they really felt sorry for the 6% that actually knew that they were below average. But uh, the reality behind it is that people constantly are upselling themselves and their capabilities, what their performance is, how good that they are at picking investments. And that overconfidence often leads to unnecessary risk within their portfolio. And so they believe, okay, well, I know how to do this. I'm going to be really good at this. And therefore, I'm going to throw a ton of money at a situation where they're not doing the right thing for themselves with regard to the research, the clinicalness that's necessary in order to be a great investor. And so they end up throwing good money after bad into a situation because they're overconfident because of illusory superiority, because they're smart. You know, if they're a doctor, great. That, that's fantastic. You're a doctor what do you do with regard to investing you know your your day should be filled with being a doctor and doing your specialty not watching the markets you don't have the time to do what i'm doing so the reality behind it is as much as you might be a highly intelligent person you're not specializing in it and it's down to a point where i've actually sat in front of doctors i, I was sitting down with a neurologist once i was like well when's the last time that you performed open heart surgery and it's like, he's kind of scoffed at me. He's like, well, I'm actually a neurosurgeon, not a heart surgeon. Uh, I would never be able to do that because that's not where my specialization is. I'm like, great. So why are you trying to do my job? And he kind of laughed. And it's that specific. You know, there, we have people that are accountants. We have tax attorneys. We have analysts that work within the financial industry. We have financial consultants in the financial industry that all invest with us, not because they don't know what's going on within the financial industry, but they actually know enough to know that they don't have a specialization of portfolio management. Portfolio management is a completely different beast. And so that's really uh, one of the biggest names of the game is to not have an overconfidence to believe that just because you can put some stocks into a, an account that you're actually building a portfolio that's gonna outperform and do better than what we're able to do on a long-term basis. So just like I was saying my golf game, I could have the best drive on the face of the planet, the first hole of my 18 uh, holes of golf doesn't mean that I'm a professional golfer. It means I got lucky. So if I go into it with a, wow, I'm now amazing at golf, which I'm not, I do have the self-awareness there, uh, then you need to be looking at something of, of how you uh, are able to control uh, what, you know, being able to get your financial uh, goals purposefully. Yeah, uh, and that makes a lot of sense, especially when you, um when you laid out like that, where we have a tendency to overinflate our uh, our own abilities, just something that's sometimes interesting to people when they'll ask me is they'll ask uh, how I manage my own money, and what they don't necessarily know is that I don't actually manage my own money. Polaris manages my money. I'm invested right alongside of our clients, and people ask me, well, why? I mean, certainly out of, out of most, you should know kind of what you're doing, and I remind people, I'm one person. Even if I spent every waking hour of every day completely ignored all my other responsibilities, ignored my family, I am still just one person. I am never going to be able to compete with a team of professionals that lives are dedicated to doing this. And I think to your point, 
for some reason, we sometimes think that as one person, we can take on these teams of specialists that that's all that they do. And that's just unrealistic and it's never going to happen. And yes, people may get lucky, but luck, um, as much as we'll take it anytime it comes, is not the same thing as skill. And so I think that's probably one of the most damning uh, biases that we have. And it's something that I think we all suffer with um, from time to time and something that needs to be recognized. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. I mean, and, and again, oftentimes the reason why somebody is trying to do that is they're penny wise and pound foolish. They're sitting there talking about the fact that, you know, if I do it myself, then I don't have to pay somebody. What what cost? You know, if you look at all of the studies of the average investor out there, and of course, nobody listening to this podcast could possibly be average, again, with their illusory superiority. Uh, but, you know, even if they are above average of the average person, the average person is getting about half of the returns of the stock market. So even if you're an above average investor, it does not mean that you're going to be uh, performing at a level that we are. And so, you know, from a historical standpoint, we've been able to do very well against our, our like benchmarks. We've, we've added a tremendous amount of value, not only on a real return, but an absolute return, uh, with the difference being obviously, you know, looking at the risk adjusted performance as well as the absolute return that's, that come to you. So uh, that's another thing to kind of be careful of when, when looking to hire a professional is it's great if they outperform, but at what risk do they take in order to get that additional return? So I think that's one of the bigger things out there is there's a lot of people that are once bitten, twice shy. They've been in a position where they've tried to hire a professional um, and not to sit there and um, you know browbeat our peer group, but there are, uh, again, above average and below average uh, you know, people that are out there with regard to investing. So that's going to be part of, of the issues that you're going to run into from, from that perspective. But then beyond that, oftentimes uh, the investor is not going to, it doesn't give this person enough time to sit there and work through a business cycle. You know, I tell people all the time, and I, I will say it right here, you know, if you give us money to manage, there will definitely be times that we lag the market. And there will definitely be times that we lose you money. And anybody that's telling you anything differently is, is lying from you or trying to steal from you. That's not how it works. Now, if you give us a business cycle, I am quite confident that you will be happy with the end result. And there's gonna be times that we severely outperform the market. So when you look at what we did uh, back in the uh, the fall uh, and the winter of uh, this last year, looking at you know fourth quarter of last year, first quarter of this, we outperformed at such a level that it was unbelievable. Uh, but then you turn around and, and uh, we have a little bit of a stall that what happened uh, as growth came back into favor of being a value investors. Well, that's going to happen sometimes. So you just part of it is that you have to do your research of the people that are managing your money for you and make sure that you're in a position uh, to really take advantage of those things that are going on around you. Uh, but you also want to make sure uh, that you have confidence in them, because if you if you pull the trigger on any manager, and I, Warren Buffett has lost money in good markets before. I, I love the fact that, you know, everybody talks about him being the Oracle of Omaha, but go back and look at some of the years in which he severely underperformed the market. 2015 comes to mind, and I know that's going back a few years, but the markets were basically flat. He was down 12% in the market that was flat. So most people would have fired Warren Buffett, but the fact that he has the name keeps him from doing so. Yeah, and I think that context is important to recognize anytime we look at anything that nothing's perfect. Um, everything has its uh, its benefits. Everything has its things where it falls short. And really having that 
big perspective or that long-term perspective is critical in understanding whether or not something is a good fit and a good match for what uh, you're trying to do. So with that, Jeff, as always, really appreciate uh, your thoughts and time today and just understanding not just the seasonality of markets, but really the underlying uh, human behaviors that drive that line of thinking and then just helping all of us have better awareness on things that we should be aware of to uh, hopefully help us make better financial decisions and then ultimately just better decisions in life. So with that, Jeff, uh, thank you so much for, uh, for your expertise. My pleasure. And so to all of our listeners, as always, really appreciate the time that you spent with us today. And as always, be happy, be safe, be healthy. LLC is a federally registered investment advisor. The information, statements, and opinions expressed in this material are provided for general information only and are subject to change without notice. This material does not take into account your particular investment objectives, financial situation, or needs, is not intended as a recommendation to purchase or sell any security, and is not intended as individual or specific advice. It should not be construed as investment, legal, or tax advice. Before acting on this material, you should consider whether it is suitable for your particular circumstances and, if necessary, seek professional advice. Polaris Wealth does not offer professional, legal, or tax advice. All information contained herein is believed to be accurate, but accuracy cannot be guaranteed. Advisory services are only offered to clients or prospective clients where Polaris Wealth Advisory Group, LLC, and its representatives are properly licensed or exempt from licensure. Past performance is no guarantee of future returns. Diversification does not assure a profit or protect against loss. Investing involves risk and possible loss of principal capital. No advice may be rendered by Polaris Wealth Advisory Group, LLC, unless a client service agreement is in place.